0: If you have your Bibles, would turn with me to Matthew 19. I'd like to read four verses there. Let me read Scripture, and then let me make some introductory remarks. <clears throat> the Pharisees were tempting Jesus Christ about divorce and remarriage. This starts at verse 3. The Pharisees also came unto him, this is Jesus Christ, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause. In other words, back then they were practicing no-fault divorce. And he says, is no-fault no divorce okay? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, They are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Jesus Christ is letting you know right here that he believes in one man and one woman. He believes in binary. He believes the Old Testament creation account, and he's quoting the Old Testament creation account. I'm very sad for our nation now. Yes, we're mourning the kids that were killed in a school, and it seems to be happening more and more. But I think our nation is working on the wrong end of the equation. Instead of taking away the guns, how about working on the fathers that were never there? How about working on the family that was never there? How about working on the worship that that kid never experienced? What if the fix was a good father in the home working and mentoring his child and going and worshiping uh, on Sundays and Wednesdays. That's the fix. I think our nation is working on the wrong end. We've got a statement in our description that we hand out to people that want to know about us, and we decided to include this one in here last summer. Addressing gender. Marriage and family were created by God. God created man with a set of unique attributes to be husband and father and he created woman with a second set of unique attributes to be wife and mother men reflect part of God women reflect another part of God together they reflect all of him and the quotes here are Genesis 1:26 through 28 Genesis 2:18 through 25 Romans one twenty six through 27, 1 Corinthians seven, one through four, Ephesians five, twenty two through thirty three, Titus two, one through eight, and first Peter three one through seven. You can get that later on. This is not just one excerpt taken out of context. This is the theme from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. God created a husband with a certain set of attributes and strengths to lead and guide the family. He created woman with another unique. Which one's the best? They're both the best. <laughs> Different is best. Together, there is a synergy that they have that together, I mean apart, they do not have. It takes both to raise a child. And that is God's design. When we veer from God's design, we're looking for all kinds of ramifications from that. Some of them immediate, some of them short-term, some of them very long-term. And I'd like to address this subject today. I'm going to do it from a very creative standpoint. And I'm doing this in a way where I am not making fun of anyone. I just think this is so prevalent and we are getting so bombarded with it in our current culture that I want us to be grounded and ready to answer from God's Word. This is a, 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 a weightier subject. Friday, I went to the library, and I got a children's book. This was written by Hans Christian Andersen in 1837, and the title of it is The Emperor's New Clothes. It is incredible the insight he has that's applicable 200 years later talking about gender. Now, as I read this, I'm going to be true to the text. But instead of a little boy at the end of this story, and you see the parallels, instead of a little boy saying, that man is buck naked, and everybody was too afraid to say I want you to think of a little boy looking at the stand in the Olympics where there's two women on the left and a right, and there's a man in the, begin, in the middle of them getting a silver medal for a female swim race and say, but Daddy, that's a boy. Okay? That's a boy. He's got boy shoulders. He's got boy junk bulging through his swimsuit. I'm not trying to be... That's what's going on in our culture. And to say that is uncool. Okay, so I want to read this book. And you can run the parallels you'd like. Okay. Brother Joff, that's not the KJV. (laughs) Amen. This is an illustration. Many years ago, there lived an emperor, and he was fond of new clothes. He spent all his time and all his money in order to be well-dressed. He did not care about I want to say family is so bad, but as someone says, he did not care about his soldiers, nor did he care about to go to the theater or ride out, except to show off his beautiful new clothes. He had a different suit for every hour of the day. People would ask, "Where's the Emperor?" Instead of answering, he is in council with his ministers. His officers would reply, the emperor is changing his clothes in his dressing room. Time passed merrily in the big town, which was the emperor's capital city. Visitors arrived daily at the court, and one day there came two men who called themselves weaver, but they were in fact clever robbers. They pretended that they knew all about cloth, and the most beautiful colors and magnificent patterns. Moreover, they said, the clothes woven from this cloth could not be seen by anyone who was unfit for office, he held, or who was very stupid. Does that sound like woke? The beautiful clothes could only be seen by those who were fit for the office they held, or who were very clever. These indeed must be splendid clothes, thought the emperor. If I had a suit made of this magic cloth, I could find at once what men in my kingdom are not good enough for the positions they hold. I should be able to tell who are wise and who are foolish. This stuff must be woven for me immediately. He ordered large sums of money to be given to both weavers in order that they might begin their work at once. So the two men who pretended to be weavers set up looms and went on as though they were working very busily, though in reality they did nothing at all. They asked for the more delicate silk and purest gold thread. This they kept for themselves and put quietly in their knapsacks and then kept on with their pretended work at the empty loops until far into the night. After some little time had passed, the emperor said to himself, I should like to see how the weavers are getting along with my cloth. I am a little bit worried about going myself to look at the cloth because they said that a fool or a man unfit for his office would be unable to see this material. I am sure that I am quite safe, but all the same, I think it best to send someone else first. All the people throughout the city had already heard of the wonderful cloth and its magic and all the anxious were to learn how wiser, how stupid their friends and neighbors might be. 1837. I will send my faithful old minister to see how the weavers are getting on with my cloth, said the emperor at last. And after some thought, he will be the best possible person to see how the cloth looks for he is a man of sense and no one can be more suitable for his office than he is. So the honest old minister went into the hall where the wicked men were working with all their might at empty looms. What can be the meaning of this, thought the old man, opening his eyes very wide. I cannot see the least bit of thread on the looms, nor the least bit of cloth woven. However, he did not speak his thoughts out loud. The men who were pretending to weave asked him very politely to be so good as to come near, and then, pointing to the empty looms, asked him, whether the design pleased him or whether the colors were very beautiful or not. The poor old minister looked and looked, but he could not see anything on the looms and for very good reason that there was nothing there. But of course, he did not know this and thought only that he must be a foolish man unfit for the office of minister. Dear me, he said to himself, I must never tell anyone that I could not see the cloth. Well, sir minister said the weavers, still pretending to work. You do not say whether or not the stuff pleases you. Oh, it is most beautiful, said the minister quickly, peering at the loom through spectacles. This pattern and the colors? Yes, I will tell the emperor without delay how very wonderful I think them to be. We shall be most grateful to you, said the pretended weavers and named the different colors. The old minister listened closely to their fine words so that he could repeat them to the emperor. And then the wicked men asked for more silk and gold, saying they needed it to finish what they had begun. Again, they were given costly thread and silk, and again they put it into their knapsacks and went pretending to work as busily as before. The emperor was pleased with the report brought by the minister, and soon after, another officer of his court sent another one to his court to see how the men are getting along to find out how soon the cloth would be ready. It was, of course, just the same with the minister. As with the, with the officers, it was with the minister. He looked at the looms on all sides, but could see nothing at all but empty frames. Does not the stuff appear to be beautiful to you, as did my lord, the minister? Asked the men, at the same time pointing to the empty looms and talking of the design and colors that were not there. I certainly am not stupid, thought the officer. I must be that I am not fit for the very good, comfortable office that I have. That is very odd indeed. However, no one shall ever know anything about it. And at once he turned to the knaves and praised the material he could not see, saying that he had delighted in both the colors and the patterns. And then he returned to the emperor and said, Indeed, please, your imperial majesty, the cloth that these weavers are making is extraordinarily magnificent. The whole city was talking about the splendid cloth which the emperor had ordered to be woven at such great cost. And now at last the emperor wished himself to go see the marvelous cloth while it was on the loom. He took with him a few of the officers of the court, among whom were the officer and the minister who had already seen the cloth and came back with the tales of its beauty. As soon as the pretended weavers heard the emperor was coming, they worked away harder than ever, though they still did not weave a single thread through their empty looms. Is not the cloth magnificent, said the officer and the minister, who had already seen the weavers' pretended work. If your majesty will only be so good as to look at it, what a splendid design, what glorious colors. And at the same time they pointed to the empty frames because they thought that everyone else could see the wonderful works and the weavers' even if they could not see it themselves. How is this, said the emperor to himself, I can see nothing. This is indeed terrible. Am I a stupid man? Or am I unfit to be emperor? That would be the worst thing that could happen. Oh, the cloth is beautiful, he cried out loud. I am delighted with it. And he smiled most charmingly with no account what he would say that he could not see. What the officer and the minister had praised so much. All his followers now strained their eyes, hoping to see something in the loom, but they could know more than the others. Nevertheless, they all claimed, Oh how beautiful and advised the Majesty the Emperor, his Majesty the Emperor, to have some new clothes made from the sophisticated material and to wear them in the great procession that was soon to take place. Magnificent, charming, excellent. <clears throat> were said over and over again, and everyone was very happy indeed. The emperor pretended to share in his pleasure, and the followers presented the two rogues with the title of gentlemen weavers and the ribbon of an order of knighthood to be worn in their buttonholes. The wicked men sat up all night before the day on which the procession was to take place. They had 16 lights burning, and so that everyone might be eager to finish the emperor's clothes. They pretended to roll cloth off the looms to cut air with their scissors, sewed needles with no thread in them. See, they cried at last, the emperor's new suit is ready. Here comes the best part. And now the emperor and all his clothes came to see the weavers work and the rogues raised their arms as though they were holding up something to be seen and said, here are your majesty's trousers. Here is the scarf. Here's the coat. Here's the whole suit like a cobweb. When dressed in it, one might fancy that one has on nothing at all. That, however, is the wonderful thing about this delicate magic of cloth. Yes, indeed, said all the counts. If your imperial majesty would be graciously, please take off your clothes. We will fit the gar- new, suit of, new suit and the undergarments in front of the mirror. And the emperor then undressed, and the rogues pretended to dress him with the new clothes, and the emperor turning around from side to side in front of the mirror. How splendid His Majesty looks in his new clothes. How well they fit, everyone cried. What a design, what colors. They are indeed royal robes. The canopy, which is to be carried over the Majesty in the procession, is waiting. The Emperor said, I am waiting. Do my clothes fit well? Turning himself around. The Lords in the bedchamber, who were to carry His Majesty's train, felt about the ground as if they were lifting up the ends they pretended to be carrying. They could never for a moment let anyone know that how stupid they were and unfit for their offices. So now the emperor walked under the canopy in the middle of the procession, right through the streets of the capital, and all the people standing and those in the windows cried out, Oh, how beautiful are the emperor's clothes! What a magnificent train! And everyone seemed to think so beautiful for fear he would not be called a simpleton or fit for his office. Never before had the emperor's clothes caused so much excitement as these. But the emperor has nothing on at all, said a little child. The child tells the truth, said the father. And so it was that the child said and whispered one to another until all knew and they all cried, but he has nothing on at all. In the last page... The emperor felt very silly, for he knew that the people were right. But he thought, the procession has started. It must go on now. So the lords in the bedchambers held their heads higher than ever and took great trouble to pretend to hold up the train, which wasn't there at all. Isn't that a sad story? When we look at gender in our country and the transgender... And we look at the increase of alcoholism rates and addiction rates and depression rates and suicide rates and incarceration rates. Do you know the mortality rates, half, go from 70s into the 30s? My friends, it's not working. On no measure whatsoever is it working. And we pretend as a society that it's great, that it's happy. My friends, that's the society we live. This was written in 1837. Okay, now I'd like to go to scripture and continue on with that. Okay? The Oxford English Dictionary. I'm going to run two things at you today. Okay? I'm going to run a practical and I'm going to run a spiritual lesson by you talking about male and female. The practical, just I'm just using the Oxford English Dictionary and it's a Pretty good uh, barometer on the English language. It defines male as belonging to the sex which begets offspring or performs the fecundating function. That means the fertilization. A male is the one that performs the fecundating function, the fertilizing. A female is, belongs to the sex which bears the offspring. From a biological standpoint, there's two sets of individuals. There's a set with XX chromosomes, and there's a sex with XY chromosomes. When you are born, the nucleus of every cell in your entire body carries either an XX or an XY. And if you flood an XX chromosome, a body with XX chromosomes and flooded with the hormones of XY, we have no idea the conflict that's gonna happen over a period of time. In Sweden, which is one of the most pro-transgender nations on the planet in accepting, and they've done a 30-year study and they found out even in grown adults, the suicide rate is 19 times as high as the normal population in an accepting society. Why don't we ever hear these statistics when 13-year-olds are making these ridiculous decisions? Okay, if you're going to let the one make a decision, at least fully inform them. But we hide all this data back. So instead, we give them puberty blockers, and we give them hormones at age 13. They still try to figure out whether they want to be a cowboy or an astronaut. Amen? Okay. Now, before I get too far, let's go to John 8. I, man, I'm wearing out this passage the last couple of months, and I'm sorry, but it's just it just so fits what we need to do. John 8. You know, this is this is the passage of the woman that was called to, caught, caught in adultery. <clears throat> I want you to know without a doubt These poor confused people, we still have a duty to love them. They still are made in God's image, even though they're trying to destroy their body. They're still made in God's image, and it's our duty to love them. The problem is, when we say something like Jesus Christ in in John 8, verse 11, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more, My friends, go and sin no more is not hate speech. It's love speech. This choice will kill you. Can you imagine any other activity that would take the mortality rate from the 70s to the 30s? People would be absolutely up in arms. This is terrible. Let's stop this. But we don't. We promote it. Where is this coming from? I think it's like the last page of this book. I think that's what it is. But the emperor felt silly. The psychologists felt silly. The medical community felt silly. The professors felt silly. And they knew that the people were right, but he thought, the procession has started. It must go on now. That's where we're at The family is God's design. It's its first institution. He designed family before he designed church. The family is his institution, one man and one woman. Let's read a couple of these just to show you how clear it is. The first passage I would like to go to, and I don't want to really expound on the doctrine here, I just want you to see the difference in how God makes a distinction between men and women. The first reference I would like to go to, 1 Corinthians 6, and this is what's important. This is why I say we've got to love. Know ye not that the unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God? We can't live close to Jesus Christ when we're living a style contrary to his will. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Effeminate means just a guy that's dressing like a girl. That's a sin. But keep on reading. For thieves and covetous and drunkards and revilers and extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. They won't, nor will they. But notice what it says in verse 11 it says, And such were some of you. There's members of this church at Corinth that used to do some of this mess. And they did what Jesus Christ did. They were forgiven. And they went and they sinned no more. Amen. Sin has become such a bad word. To say someone's sinning is not hate. It's actually love. Okay? Because when you look at the consequences of that, for, 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 you know, forget about the kingdom of God just for now. Ultimately, you want to have them enter in the kingdom of God, a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ, because that's the only way you're going to find peace and happiness. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be a preacher. Okay? Now, I will tell you the practical blessings of it, and those practical practical blessings of it, is you get to avoid all that mess we just read about, the results of people that have transgender. And I still who's pushing that agenda it doesn't work and I want you know there's the whole thing you know when we're trying to figure something out when I was an investment banker says follow the money right Mm -hmm. is it the pharmaceuticals because they know once you've had that operation you've got to take their hormones for the rest of your life do you think it's greed that's driving it do you think it's the psychologists because depression rates go up suicide goes up that they got a patient forever I I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. If you're seeing those kind of statistics, why wouldn't you wake up and say, hey, this is wrong. We got to reverse course and try another practice. Let's go back to God and let's go back to the family. We're working on the wrong end of the equation, y'all. We go back to the beginning. We go back to the foundation. Okay? If you have your Bibles, would you go with me to 1 Corinthians 11? 1 Corinthians 11. <clears throat> just, just notice what it says here. Just notice that the distinction what God is making between men and women. Now you think, well, Brother Dolph, you're just saying, okay, you know, God made it and he made a helper and the woman's the helper and you're nothing more than just a, a macho chauvinist. No, I think this is what happened. I'm being silly here. I think he made man. He took a step back and he looked and he says, I can do better than that. And then he made female, okay? I am thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for what she gives me and the stuff that I don't have. It's very important. I'm thankful for my two daughters too. The lack of sentimentality I have. I I, I need them for that. I don't have it, okay? But notice this for the man is not of the woman but the woman of the man verse 9 neither was the man created for the woman but the woman for the man in other words they are meant to go like this in a synergistic way 1 Corinthians 11:11 11, 11, neither is the man without the woman neither is the woman without the man they fit together right they fit together and so much better Is When it's a God-fearing man and it's a God-fearing woman, then you got the real fit. And that's where the joy and the peace and the happiness is coming. Otherwise, you're going to get this. Verse 12. For the woman is of the man, even so the man is also by the woman, but all things of God. This is God's design. Yeah, the woman came from the rib, but man was told to leave and cleave his mom and dad and come up alongside her and together they're strong. That's God's design. So I, I, was, I was making the joke when I read uh, Hans Christian Andersen's. And, and I made the joke, and there's a little boy standing in front of the podium where the silver and the gold and the bronze medals were and he says, but, but, but that's a guy. I want us to look and see that young men need older men to mentor them women cannot mentor young boys it it can't be done our society says no anybody can mentor anybody wrong i knew i was in trouble in very short order When I lost my first wife to cancer and my boys were very, very young. They were three, four, and six years old. And I was to raise them and that was my prayer. Lord, if you're going to have me raise these boys, I'll do my best. But I know I'm lacking. There's a tenderness that young children need. Yeah, they needed the male mentor, but they also needed that female touch. And you know what? That's God's design. It's not good for man to be alone. Amen? He created woman to compliment him. Not to fight against him, to compliment him. He created him different. Praise the Lord. And it's more than physical, it's mental, it's emotional, it's temperament, it's characteristic traits. They're different. I'm joking, I have no idea. This is this is purely a joke, okay? Okay? You'll have to set me straight poor Claire sitting on the back. Last night we watched our grandchildren. So they could have a date night and the grandchildren are in our house. Okay? Now I'm looking in the mirror and we got a text. How are the kids doing? How many want to bet it came from the mother or the father? Huh? Right? Who do you think it came from? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> if I had a date with my wife and my parents are watching the grandkids, I'm thinking, hot dog. I'm not thinking about them kids back home. And she's thinking about the kids back home. Okay? Am I on safe ground? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. But that's, that, we're made differently. We can't deny that. That's the way God wired us, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Okay, let's go on a little bit further. I want to talk about this in a spiritual aspect. We've talked it real practical. But I want to get to a spiritual. And we're talking about children. God is always, always, always represented as the male. And the church is always, always, always represented as the female. You know why? Because God does the begetting, and the woman does the bearing. The woman cannot beget a child by herself. It takes an XY chromosome to do that. But the man cannot bear a child. It takes the XX chromosome to do that. I even got on the internet this week because they say biological male had a baby. No. It was a person that was born with XX chromosomes that mutilated their body, that took a bunch of hormones, that had a, something planted in them, and that person had a baby. That is not a biological male having a baby. That's someone that was born with XX that had a baby. Because that's the what it takes. That's the design. But notice what it says here. Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat Judas, that's in Matthew 1-2. We go down further and it says, Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, who was born Jesus. The male is the begatter. Amen? The female does not have input into the begetting process. Passive egg, the, the, the fertilization goes on. I'm trying to be discreet. That's the way it is with spiritual birth. God does the beginning and he doesn't need the help of the church to do it. And I hear a lot of amens. That's the doctrine that separates us from every other church in this country. We do not have the church begetting its children. It's not doing part of the job of begetting its children. We give that totally to God. And the bearing is the job of the church, and that's what it does. And when we start monkeying with spiritual doctrine, we're setting up a bad scenario representing the physical. I believe God has designed the world so that the physical is always consistent with the spiritual. It's not crisscrossing. Let's go to Genesis. Not Gen. Yeah, Genesis. Look at this language. Okay? Now, we know the story of uh, Sarah and Abraham. They were very old. I think like 90 and 100 years old when they finally conceived. And then some time came and she finally was able to have a baby. Look at this language. And the Lord visited Sarah as he said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his own age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him that Sarah bare to him Isaac. Verse 3, you kind of get the idea God's given the beginning to dad, right? Let's reread this again in another spiritual sense. And I'm going to read this the same way, but every time I see Abraham, I'm going to say God. And every time I see Sarah, I'm going to read Mary. For Mary conceived and bare God a son... At the set time which God had spoken, and God called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Mary bare to him, Jesus. Do you see how that gives all the glory to God? Mary was passive in the process. Amen? Okay, let me read this again. And I'm going to pick Brother Allen simply because you're sitting in the front row. That's probably a dumb thing, because I'll chase you to the back row. So let me pick James, okay? <laughs> I just What's your mom's first name? Mom. Yeah. Marcy. Marcy. Okay, right. And Marcy conceived and bare God a son, spiritually speaking, right? In his old age. At a set time. No, that doesn't make sense, right? Because the biological father how about this? And there was James, God's son, when the Holy Spirit came unto him. And God called the name of his son, James. That was born unto him, James, whom the Holy Spirit bare to him, James. Do you understand how we give credit to spiritual birth to God and not to the church? What the church does is takes that spiritual being that God has already born and we nurture him and we raise him and it's just not James, it's Ellen, it's Cindy, it's Richard. It's all of us. The Lord comes to us and and, and starts that birth but from then on the church is the one that nourishes it and feeds it and educates it. That's how spiritual life works. I hope hope that just makes just a little bit of sense with you all. Um, we're moving along here let me just read two more passages if you have your Bibles and I think I have these this is one of these deals where I think I overdid it in terms of uh, preparation your, your faces are really intent you're, you're with me, I'm excited about that that's great, I just want to give you two more verses okay. this is the description of people that buck God's design Look at the description here in Romans 1, 26 and 27. For this cause God that gave them up to their vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use to that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned the lust ones towards another, men with men doing with that which is unseemly, and rece- here, read this part, and receiving in themselves that recompense of the heir which was meat, which was fit. God designed us in a certain way. And again, when if, if I'm born with an XY and I decide I don't want to be that and, and, and I have the operations and I flood my body with XX hormones and pump that in there, a body that has XY chromosomes and I just force it, force it, force it for 20, 30 years and we're having these Terrible results in terms of alcoholism and addiction and incarceration and depression and suicide rates and mortality rates are going from the 70s to the 30s. Aren't we going to take us Maybe we're doing something wrong. If I put oil in the gas tank and gasoline in my engine and all of a sudden my car's not running, maybe I'm Maybe I got the wrong stuff in there. That's how we think. That's what God's saying right here. And let's go one more about a warning. Colossians 2.8 Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world. My friends, that's what we're being inundated with with the 64 genders right now. And all the science. It's like that little boy. I only see two. I don't see the other 62. Yeah, but if I admit that, either I'm stupid or I'm not fit for my office. I'm not going to say that. I don't see it, but i got to go with the flow. I might lose my teaching position. I might lose my tenure at a prof- college. I'm a fr- I can't say that. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. What did Christ believe? As it is written, God created them male and female. Praise the Lord for his creation. And God's way is always so much simpler.